Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce. Joined as ever by Christy Doran from Fox Sports. Uh, Christy, mate, another, let's call it a, um, a remotely, not remotely, a, a reasonably successful weekend for the Aussie franchises, uh, highlighted by the Brumbies win, of course, which we'll come to. Mate, uh, how are you? I'm smashing, thank you. You're right. It, reasonably successful is probably the right way to put it because the highs of the Brumbies, but it started with the couple of lows in the sense that the Rebels got absolutely smacked and the Reds, unfortunately, um, you know, not quite there in those closing stages, the, the class, the polish. So, as you say, we'll get to it all, but but some some good wins along the way. And, and when you start to put these back-to-back and alongside each other, you start to get a bit more overall picture around where's Australian rugby at the moment. Yes, it uh, seems like there's uh, some positive vibes out there, a few pieces written around this week, uh, obviously with a, a fairly significant announcement coming uh, Thursday night Australian time out of Dublin. Uh, I'm sure you're probably all aware of that. Uh, and I don't think we can even jinx uh, the World Cup bid at this point. So, uh, yeah, but looking forward to seeing it official for uh, both 2027 and, and 2029, uh, the men's and then the women's uh, back-to-back after the Lions series as well. Some fantastic years ahead for the game at long last. Uh, but, mate, let's get into Friday. Um I think I'd probably overlook the Rebels there when we were talking off air uh, beforehand. Um, probably good to mention them. Uh, a bizarre game of rugby, uh, number one, because I also was cooking dinner and um, managed to not get my tip in for that game. So that could be particularly vital in the family uh, tipping competition. But um, uh, they scored two early tries. And then, my goodness, uh, the Blues scored uh, 47 points in 33 minutes. Um it just wasn't up to Super Rugby standard from the Rebels, was it? No, it wasn't. And it was you're almost a little bit in disbelief about what was going on here. And it, it had a little bit of a tinge to like a Wallabies flavour where they might occasionally get off to a good start and then just suddenly the wheels fall off and the All Blacks just run right. And the pace, the movement, everything was sticking from that about that 15 or 10 to 15-minute mark right through, through until... The end of the first half, they've always had, you know, that X factor more so now than ever because they're a bit more complete right across from 1 to 15. They're they're a threat, aren't they? Um, We're we're seeing them. There's a reason why they're top of the charts. You you think about where the Highlanders, the Hurricanes are, and you go, well, these sides are pretty good. Well, they were struggling to get victories, you know, for the first half of the season because they're up against New Zealand opposition every week. Um, fortunately, Australian rugby didn't quite have to, to play New Zealand in the opening stages. Some of the players, some of the teams like the Brumbies can get their systems in order, um, plan their season out a bit more. And, yeah, unfortunately for the Rebels, they came up against a, a, a Blues side that is humming. And you think it's pretty scary without Evan Bowden Barrett being part of that side on the weekend. And you go, wow, what, what could that mean? But... There was a couple of things that just instantly stood out, and that was really just the lack of physicality, you know, the turnstile kind of defence. <clears throat> the fact that, you know, the metres post-contact were huge, the ability for the Blues to get offloads through the middle. Um, and you compare that to what we saw with the Brumbies 24 hours later, and you go, well, that is really the difference between what is a, a good Super Rugby side and what isn't, because the Brumbies were able to stop the Chiefs' defence, um, their attack in defence, and, and we just didn't see any of that from the Rebels. They've got some issues 
Um, I don't think that they're as bad as what that score line reflected. I think they just had a bad night. But the question is, why did they have a bad night? What, what you know, you know, we, we saw Parling, the, the, the assistant coach there, former Lion, um, that was his bread and butter when he was playing for Exeter. <clears throat> why, why is that happening? What, you know, there's still enough class and Wallabies. Andrew Kellaway was subbed after 42 minutes or so. You know, Matt Phillip is someone who generally always fronts up and has that element about him. Um, you know, James Hansen there at Hooker, um, Pone Farmacilli there starting as well. So um, Rob, Rob Leota, there, there, there was good enough players right across there and guys like Brad Wilkin, who you've never really seen just shirk and fall off tackles like what was happening. So they've got a really big um, game and it's important for the teams like the Rebels and Falls, even though they're not going to be a part of the finals makeup, that they need to be able to potentially prevent New Zealand oppositions from getting bonus points for their Australian um, teammates because it really hurts someone like the Waratahs or the or the Reds in this case, or the, indeed the Brumbies who are who are gunning for for the minor premiership. If you can deny one of those New Zealand teams a bonus point, it can be huge in the overall stakes. Absolutely, yeah. Just um, not really willing to put their bodies uh, on the line there, and that uh, the majority of that first half of those two early tries. Um, and as you say, Rebels, um, you know, still in the hunt, but it's hard to see them um, getting uh, into the finals at this point. They're probably going to need a couple of the other Aussie sides to, to beat the Highlanders in the coming weeks, uh, namely the, the Force and Waratahs, before getting a, a crack at them in the final round in Melbourne, which would be something. So um, not completely out of it, but certainly not worthy of it, uh, given uh, what we saw on Friday night at this point. Um, moving on to the Reds, mate. Um, another, I mean, it kind of felt like a, a carbon copy the week before against the Chiefs in a lot of ways. They they played some reasonable rugby in patches. Um, they obviously led the game, I think, 12-0, 12-3. Um, after a couple of cards early on um, and then just kind of fell away and really lacked continuity, um, clearly missing both uh, Tenula Tupu and, of course, James O'Connor still, who we, we believe is still a week or perhaps even two away from a return. Um, so, yeah, as we said last week, it kind of feels like the momentum has been sucked out of their season, uh, was being sucked out of their season. And, you know, after the weekend, it's it's hard to see them bouncing back this week uh, against the Blues. It's um, it's just, you know, uh, given where they were coming from uh, and the Australian portion, um, the Derby's portion of the competition and and when the position they were in, is it is it as simple as saying, yep, yeah, it's purely because James O'Connor and, by extension, Tanula Tupu aren't there. Uh, Lawson Creighton uh, came in for some criticism, I think, more on social media than from the actual within the group from coach Brad Thorne or, or Tate McDermott. I think there might've been a, a remark from the press conference that was misconstrued perhaps, but um, I mean, it's not up to him. There's plenty of other, you know, excellent players in that squad. They were missing Hunter Paisami as well. Um, but uh, to pick out Crichton, I thought was, was unfair given he'd supplied the kick for, for Josh Fluke's try um, and, and played some reasonable rugby in patches. But as you mentioned last week, I think that, um, virtually been thrown into the deep ends uh, because he, you know, hadn't been given any time, hadn't been, you know, involved in what we call kind of, I guess, squad management or, or preparation with an eye on the future and then thrown in and um, he, he's found the going tough as you would expect. Yeah, well, <clears throat> t- t- tell me, Sam, do you think 
you know, some of the comments that I think Tate McDermott made in the immediate aftermath when he was asked around, is it as simple as making change for O'Connor? You made that point and you said, oh, and, and, and Tate said, you know, clearly James is a class player. Yeah, but it's 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 a bit unfair on Lawson. He was thrown to, thrown to the wolves. Um, you know, he hasn't played a minute of, of Super Rugby at 10 and then all of a sudden he's thrown in the deep end against the Kiwis. So he said that, yeah, we've got to support him more. Um, Look, I, I, I took that a couple of ways. And I think, yes, I think it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a management thing and it could be a player's situation needing to take more ownership. But I also do think it is a management thing. You know, if 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 a bloke has played some minutes at 10 leading up to playing Kiwi's opposition, he's going to feel much more comfortable. You know, if, if a team's in front and he's allowed to come in for 15 minutes, you've still got the likes of a Taniela there or maybe a James O'Connor gets shifted elsewhere, perhaps to fullback, and you go, here's the keys to the castle, Lawson, show us what you've got. Jock can come off. Um, Geordie Bataille can potentially shift to a wing or, or whatever it might be. I think it was just as much management as it is his teammates needing to take ownership around, well, how do we simplify our game plan? How do we make sure that... We're doing everything we can for Lawson to get ease into the game. You're not going to get ease into a game when you're starting against Kiwi opposition. So I think others that, that have, have said that, oh, Tate's comments were misconstrued. I think Tate's comments were pretty pretty, pretty straightforward from what, from what I interpreted. Um, and I must admit I haven't spoken to Tate since then to, to get his official comment, and I don't know if anyone else has either. But, yeah, the, for me, it's a broader issue. You came back to ask the question around, um, you know, is it as simple as James O'Connor not being there? Well, yes, possibly, but 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 why can't you have a, a system where players can come in and out and the, and the performances drop away so much? We've seen in rugby league over the years that when you take out Andrew Johns or you took out, you know, Darren Lockyer or Jonathan Thurston, then the performances drastically fall away. But... but I think they're two different. Rugby and rugby league are completely different games, really. Like Union, you can play a forwards game, you can play a territory game, you can play an expansive counter-attacking game, kick pressure, whatever it might be. That's not the same in rugby league. Um, so I just think that the Reds needed to do more to have Lawson or another team have more minutes throughout the season before they come to these situations because injuries are always going to come about they all are always going to come back, particularly someone like James O'Connor, who you and I both know has been pretty much injured at every one point in a season since probably back in 2013. So, you know, when he left to go to France, he had time away on, on the sidelines. And as soon as he's come back, you know, 2015 was injury hampered. Uh, and then 2020 misses a chunk of, you know, he missed a couple of test matches for Wallabies, likewise last year. So it's completely naive to think that he's going to be the 10 for the whole season. So for his perspective, I would have thought, this is James O'Connor's perspective, I don't want to be playing every minute of every game because I'm more likely to go down. And secondly, who's your number 10? Is your second number 10? And, and from what we understand, Jock, Jock Campbell was considered their second 10. Well, he's just, you're starting fullback. Do you really want to have so many moving pieces of the puzzle? Um, Who's, who's your third? Uh, I think Henry, um, uh, the other name escapes me there, but he wasn't a, a, a starting 10 either. 
And then Lawson Crichton has spent time playing for the Reds, but he's not played at 10. He's played, you know, in the outside backs or, or the centres. So I thought it was really naive, the Reds, in terms of how they get to this point in the season. And you look at other teams like the Waratahs, well, they've got three tens there, and all of them, you feel pretty confident that they can do a job. Now, Queensland's a massive nursery. How do you get yourself into this position where you only have one ten? And for many, many years, it was always the Quade Cooper show or, or bust. Now we're seeing a bit of the same with James O'Connor. So that, to me, seems like there's just not enough thinking about the long-term sustainability of the club. Can they turn it around, mate? Um... Obviously, as we mentioned, O'Connor uh, unlikely before potentially even the last round now by the sounds of things. Um, they've got the Blues, uh, Moana and the Crusaders to come. Um, they're in a real fight. They'll make the finals, clearly. But um, having gone from being in a, a position to host uh, a quarterfinal, um, you know, it's looking like now they'll, they'll have to travel away potentially to Christchurch, Canberra even. Um, you know, we couldn't rule out that they might finish seventh and the Brumby second, or there's all kinds of machinations, um, which uh, you'll need to consider uh, for the run home across these final three weeks. Um, it, it, it feels to me that, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, the momentum has gone from their season. Uh, they're lacking a little bit of confidence in, in exactly, you know, how they're trying to play, how they're trying to execute. You spoke about game styles. You can play territory. Um, you can play it through the forwards, um, keep things tight. Um, it's hard to see how, you know, they can do that against a Blues team who loves to move the ball at um, the earliest opportunity given the strike weapons they have out wide. So, yeah, it's um, perhaps it might be that game against the Crusaders that is particularly vital that is the difference between finishing, say, fifth or sixth or even seventh um, there as we uh, we head through into the finals. Um, before we leave uh, that game, mate, I just want to give a little shout-out to Falao Fakatava. Um, the Highlanders' replacement. You can see why uh, the All Blacks are so keen uh, to keep him, um, and it absolutely looks like he he will play for New Zealand and, and not for Tonga. Um, I think his eligibility will be sorted either by the end of the year or perhaps earlier um, if um, New Zealand rugby looks to expedite that process. A little bit of uncertainty around when he actually was, uh, not when he was in New Zealand, but how long and um, if he was here the whole time uh, around with the shifting uh, world rugby guidelines last year. But um, Jizzy added a real spark coming off the, the bench for them and and really got uh, got the Hollanders over the line in the end, a little flick pass for, for Scott Gregory to score and then scoring the try himself. Um, he's got fast feet. He's got a real nose for the try line. He's, he's got a slick pass. It might not be as sharp as, as Aaron Smith's, but um, he's probably got an extra yard or two of on Smithy these days. And, Maybe a little bit more robust too. He's very chunky for a little bloke, which you love to see. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, is he? I guess jumping a little bit aside from Australia for a minute, um, is he fast becoming the the number two option? Do you think uh, behind Smith at the All Blacks as well? I think both Perinara and, and Brad Weber are, are going to be feeling some heat from from Fakatava over the next eighteen months. I can just see your eyes lighting up here. The former halfback in you, you are loving it. Um, Oh, wasn't he great? You know, you, people probably would have gone, geez, you're taking off Aaron Smith at this stage of the game. Well, those that might not have watched him play, he's he's clearly, you know, he had raps months ago from, you know, you're reading even some of the New Zealand press around around him. But he exactly what you said, provided a huge amount of spark. And, and the thing I loved about that ball in the inside to Gregory, who's former New Zealand sevens player and, 
has always looked the goods. Um, was that he, he calls, you know, he and Scott look at each other, the phase before, right next to the, the ruck, and he goes, follow me, basically, and he does, and he ends up with the ball, you know, one phase later. Um, it was first class. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. I, I, I think that they'll probably bring him in there as one of four halfbacks, potentially, yeah. and then just see how he matches up at training. You know, it's probably a good little thing for a Weber or a, or a TJ Perinara to kind of... Um, you know, have some extra heat on them. But doesn't this come back to what we were just saying a week or two back about combinations in around who's actually the premier player in each position and what style you want to play? The All Blacks have got some headaches. And as much as people probably go, you know, they've got the best players and they've got three or four deep in each position compared to Australia, well, it's not as simple as that. And, and, and these are the reasons why, because just like the Reds in terms of, what style they want to play at the moment and how they're working through a game and imagine management. The All Blacks have got those same issues, I think, in terms of how they want to play. Two, two playmakers at 10 and 15 or or a bigger, bigger centres combination. And lots of questions to be ironed out, even in the back row there. Like we've seen Dalton Papali at the moment, who's just immense. Um, it just seems like the All Blacks, you know, now with Akira Yuani and Hoskins Satutu, Peter Gassel, there's, there are so many options out there at the moment, which is pretty exciting when there's not been one All Black, uh, sorry, one Crusaders player there that we've mentioned. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You feel there's going to be probably four or five pretty uh, hard luck stories for this first All Black squad of the year to face Ireland, uh, particularly uh, in and around the, the back row uh, and the midfields. Um, Mate, let's move ahead to Saturday. Uh, let's, let's start in Auckland, uh, Mount Smart, where you've got to tip your hat to the Waratahs. Um, it was being described as a bit of a banana skin game in the lead-up. It had the feel of that, um, given particularly given Michael Hooper was was out with concussion protocols. Uh, and they would go down 17-0. And then, you know, Waratahs teams of the past, uh, you'd probably say, that's it, they're done. Um, another listless display that follows up such a fantastic performance the week prior as it was against the Crusaders. Um, but not on this occasion. Uh, they steadied really well. Um, Izzy Parisi, you know, almost not single-handedly brought them back into the game, but his ability to straighten up, um, hard running at the line and break tackles to bust tackles uh, really set in motion uh, their comeback. Um, and they just got better from there as it went on. And, and then, you know, tip had it again, tip of the hat again, sorry, at the finish. Um, Really showed a bit of defensive metal to to hold uh, Moana off there at the finish. Um, probably not the the best execution from the home side in terms of how they were attacking the line, but um, yeah, a real I don't know how you describe it, but um, you, you've got to congratulate Darren Coleman again for you know a, a week that would have been difficult bringing those guys back down after their win over the Crusaders and and focusing on, on this match, he, he gets the win. He doesn't get the bonus point, but I think uh, absolutely would have taken the win straight up uh, if you'd offered him to that offered him that last week before the match. Um, a, a real game that uh, I think probably shows the growth in this Waratahs team uh, under Coleman this year. Oh, doesn't it ever. Yeah, that was a, a gutsy win. Um, and that's the sort of win that actually I think keeps um, the the – the momentum or it certainly keeps the momentum but those that are that have got a foot in each tent as to should we back the Waratahs or should we not well I think you're stepping further into that camp that we'll go out and watch them again or we'll tune in now because 
and all good sides are built on defence. You look even at the 99 Wallabies, you know, their defence was incredible. And that's really where they, they probably won that World Cup. Um, you know, in the All Blacks in, in 2011, they weren't brilliant in that final by any stretch of the imagination, but they held pretty tight and firm. Um, that was a, a really important win for Australian rugby because it's, as you, as you said, and we all mentioned, it's consistency has been something that Australian rugby has really struggled with. So, yeah, it's not just it's not just Darren Coleman. It's 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 Jason Gilmore that needs to be um, yep. congratulated there because we know that they were conceding 50, 50 a match last year, some cases sixty. Um, you know those comments from Chris Whitaker. I think it was after that Hurricanes game at the SCG where he said, you know, how do you concede? How do you score forty points and lose? Um, I know that they're they're starting to really turn that corner. It's exciting. Um, it's incredible to think that they're ahead of the Reds at this point in time. I think that everyone is blown away by that, but it does tell you a little bit about the journey that they are on. It's also a huge, huge tick to the shirt shield competition, but also the New South Wales administration to eventually making the right call by getting by getting DC Darren Coleman in there. So I just think it's it's massive for those players that stuck solid to have to have, you know, the Jake Gordons of the world who were in a really bad place last year. You know, I think they were hating their rugby. Um, they were pretty tight as a group, but they were hating all the other things, the things on the periphery, the, you know, turning up to functions, the the media, the, um, you know, the fact that they couldn't necessarily, like walking down the streets and those that did know them thought, fuck, they're not a very good team. Or secondly, um no one knowing them at all because let's be honest, zero from thirteen, you, you, you're not the talk of the town, are you? So, um, a big, big moment for I think the Waratahs was it was just as important that win as the Crusaders the week earlier. And 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 you think about the defensive pressure and the breakdown pressure that Moana Pacifica put on the Tars. Like, mm. They were really fighting it for that last 10, 15 minutes, and and it's like the the Dylan. Um, I think it was the Dylan Peach try that was ruled out after the easy Parisi kick. There was things there that were going They could have dropped their bundle, yeah. And and I even think that the Angus Gardner was the referee and his assistants, pretty sure, were, were both New Zealanders. And I was staggered at times, the offside rule there. I wasn't convinced a number of those times were, were actually offside. That really helped. Moana Pacifica um, for, to territory and possession in that second half. It, it left me scratching a number of times. Uh, this week, uh, Darren Coleman's made the put the call out to, to fill the hill at Leichhardt Oval. Um, it, uh, as we mentioned last week, I, I said it was the best atmosphere uh, I can remember at a Waratahs game since the 2014 final. There was only 10,000 there, but 10,000 at Leichhardt probably feels like 30,000. Everywhere else. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Waratahs fans, if you haven't been back to a game yet, then uh, then this Saturday uh, is certainly the one for you against the Hurricanes who will bring uh, Messrs Barrett, Sevilla um, and... Uh, and Coles is a lot. Coles is back as well. And, and Ray Assey just had a field day against the Drewer on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, what an opportunity for them. And and what will it be? I mean, this will be chasing five straight, I think, if we, we go back. Um, Drew our force. Um, no, sorry, the loss to the Chiefs broke that. But they're, they're five out of their last six or so, I think. So 
while we talk about the Reds going in the other direction, um, the Waratahs are, are certainly on the up. And if they win this one at home, then it's really going to keep them in the mix for a, for a home quarterfinal. Yeah, that would be astonishing if that occurs. Tell me a bit of mail yesterday that, that Ned Hannigan and, and Paddy Ryan are back for the Waratahs. Um, Paddy being brought in after Harry Johnson Holmes's injury, but Ned Hannigan was always part of that wider squad, which means that he'll be eligible for finals, I believe. Um, there's only three rounds of the regular season left. Uh, there will be people that will go, come on, Ned Hannigan, Paddy, Paddy Ryan, is that really actually helping the Waratahs? Um, but I think it does help them immensely. Ned Hannigan's best year was probably, or well, his best yep. year since his breakout year was in 2020. 2020. Um, he's a guy that can cover second row and six, um, potentially even eight. Um, he's very good in the line out. And when it comes to pressure situations like that, to have someone like him will be huge. And then, Paddy Ryan, you know, there's the tight head position is always a, a really difficult one. It's one of the first you pick. Um, but to have an extra person there, they must be pretty thin there. Um, uh, just a, a really well-liked guy around the group. I, I think that those two inclusions are quite important. What, what do you think? I mean, they're, they're huge. And you know why? Because we're going to talk about the Brumbies in a second here. And, and what it does is that it gives them – depth, right? It increases this ability to bring guys off the bench who the team won't lose absolutely anything from. Now, if you throw, let's throw Hannigan into the back row mix. So, so Hooper's back this week. You stick with the Hooper, um, Charlie Gamble combination that was so successful against the Crusaders the week earlier. And then you've got the choice of, of Harris or Boyasako, Boyasako, sorry, uh, there, Rabboni Boyasako there, or Will Harris. Um, you add Ned Hannigan into that mix as well. And now what great depth you've got there. Not only can you cover an injury, but it also gives you slightly different ways in which you can approach both your starting 15 and your bench. Now, you mentioned the in injury, uh, sorry, maybe didn't mention the injury to Harry Johnson Holmes, which is why there is this, um, you know, little bit of a lack of depth at, at Tighthead. And certainly Archer Hulse did a great uh, had a great game in his first start last week. The scrum really didn't lose anything against Moena. Um, clearly, there'll be bigger challenges to come. But uh, to have Paddy Ryan there available as well for that, it, it just covers that, you know, that, that little bit of extra depth on the bench that counts for injuries or, you know, you look to the Waratahs bench this year can, as opposed to what it was, you know, last year or even the year before. And you're going, you know, my goodness, this is no longer just, you know, we've, we might have, 13 or 14 good players here or 10 or 12, um, you suddenly you've got a, a really uh, strong starting 15 that now has the, the continuity of playing together over the last, let's call it basically three years now for a lot of them. Um, and then not only that, you've got a bench that is that is stacked with with depth. Um, we saw young Mahe Vailanu um, come off, you know, having not started or maybe not even played um, potentially this season so far to come on and start against the Crusaders. And you and I spoke about it last week, the game that he had, I was, I was shocked that maybe he hadn't retained even a position on the bench ahead of Tom Porton last week. Cause I thought he was that good. So. Yeah. As well, yeah. You, I, I think, I think you'll see Ned Hannigan probably come off the bench and maybe cover the second row. Um, I just, you know, they still are thin there. They still are light there. And Ned's not going to necessarily beefing that up too much. But I think he'll probably, given the fact that, you know, the the back row depth that they are building there, the fact that Will Harris has come on leaps and bounds over the last 18 months, uh, just due to the fact that he's playing games, 
um, is a is a really exciting one. We'll get we'll get to the Brumbies now, and the Brumbies. Well, look, they are humming, aren't they? Um, the, the question is, are, are you surprised? Because I know that we've gone back over the last two years and I've said that I think the Brumbies is the show's best squad and therefore would win the Australian titles and top the table for the show this year. So given what you're seeing, uh, are you surprised by Dan McKellar's Brumbies at the moment? A couple of points there, mate. Uh, number one, I agree. I thought they were going to win uh, or be the be the best Australian side. Number two, I don't think I saw them perhaps uh, travelling this well against New Zealand teams. And I'll admit I tipped the Chiefs on the weekend. Um, but right from the outset, it was clear that um, this this Brumbies team, I think, is, you know, is at another level. They are the equal of the Crusaders and the Blues, and I truly believe that they can, they can win the competition. Um, you know, they've just got all bases covered, haven't they? Uh, their exits on the weekend, which is such an important part of the game these days, were, were just superb. Uh, the way they set up for Nick White's box kicks, it was probably, I think he was man of the match on the weekend. And and I sung uh, Andy Newerhead's praises on on uh, on Twitter on the weekend. And, you know, you look at a guy like that who missed out on the, on the Wallabies training squad this year, he just never puts a foot wrong. He chases his heart out. He tackles his heart out. And you know what? He's got a bloody beautiful torpedo, um, which looks like it's the easiest thing in the world to do when he kicks them. But anyone who's tried it, um, there's a reason why you don't see many of them these days because they are bloody hard to, to master. Um, he, he seems to just take two steps and, and nail them every time. Um, and, and then, you know, like even Tom Wright on the weekend, the ball he threw for Lenny Kittow's try, just drifting across, holding it up, you know, Wingers don't throw those passes. Um, so you've got to credit uh, the staff down there in Canberra. Um, he's, is it Peter Hewitt? Is the, um, no, it's not. He, he left a couple of years ago. It's uh, Rob. Rob um, escapes me right now at the moment. But no, it's not. It's, we'll, we'll get back to it. Anyway, yeah, big ups to the, the skills man down there at the Brumbies um, slash backs coach. Uh, you know, Tom Wright doesn't make that past the last couple of years. Uh, so, and then you, the forward pack, like you, on the weekend, bringing, you know, Scotty Seo and, uh, and Alan off the bench, uh, the scrum hadn't missed a beat up until then. Um, you know, we know the, the depth they've got at lock, uh, Darcy Swain and Caden Neville, um, and then Frost off the bench. And, um, you know, then you, you've got Bobby Valentini just doing his thing week after week. So yeah, look, I, I, Maybe we underestimated, I guess, uh, we were affected by last year uh, and, you know, the Brums only winning one game against New Zealand opposition. But you got to, um, I guess, caveat that by the fact that they did have such a, an injury toll last year, whereas this time around, you know, they're, they're very close to being, you know, just about at full strength. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mate, I look, a, a, a brilliant win. Um, it probably wasn't as close as a 38-28 scoreline suggest that it was. Um, I don't think the Chiefs probably ever thought that they were, you know, right in the contest. Certainly Sam Kane, uh, his interview after full time, he had a few answers. He just said basically the Brumbies were, were too bloody good. Yeah, it was Rob C. So I got halfway there with the Rob aspect of the, the backs assistant coach and he's doing a good job. And he's Big shout out to Rob then, yeah. So, um, as for the Brumbies, yeah, look, it was something that I touched upon in a story on Sunday for Monday, which was the Brumbies' depth. And it's not just that, it's the 
It's the management there from Dan McKellar. Now, one of the reasons why I think that they were struggling for a while and they weren't humming was the fact that Ryan Lonigan starts in three or four matches at number nine ahead of Nick White. Um, you're seeing constant chopping and changing on a hooker with Flau Fianga, with Connell McInerney, with um, Lonigan, and, and even on the weekend, um, another another one off the bench there. So, you know, Scotty CEO starts uh, up until the weekend in two matches there. But that those 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 changes, the continual tweaking, I think that came. To, you know, someone made the comparison. Oh, isn't that what Michael Checker did? Well, no, Michael Checker was doing that in Test matches, and he was doing that on a consistent basis in the second row, in the back row. It was all over the place. Um, whereas for the Brumbies, it's very different for a when you're managing a, a 16, 17 weight competition of how do you get your side to, to be humming towards the back end. So that you're you're going upwards from a you know rather than going down you're going up, and we're seeing that at the moment. You know Nick White and Noah Lovosio. Noah missed a few weeks there as well, but the two of them have played the last three matches at nine, you know, and ten, and that tells you about what they're thinking around their management. Um, and we're seeing the the massive success that, that that's having at the moment, guys. You look at that back row; it's so well balanced there um, between Jerome Brown at seven and and hopefully he he gets qualified for Australia at some stage because he's a, a great body, a great physical work specimen. Had, had a heap of support in the the stands at the Waikato on the weekend. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, and 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 we're seeing Pete Samu play well, um, and and Rob Valentini I think has been the best player in Australian rugby um, from a Super Rugby perspective in a couple of years. But he's also been the bloke that has come on the most in the last two years, and that's huge credit to the Brumbies assistant coaches and the coaching staff there. He was a guy that underwhelmed in his first couple of years coming out of the NRC, and he's really hitting his straps now. But every player throughout that one to fifteen and and off the bench, the squad mentality there is is really shining through. Um, Couple of big games now, though. We're, we're, yes, we might be surprised that they're three and zero against New Zealand opposition, but they're now up against Crusaders and the Blues over the next two weeks. That will probably show where they're at, but it will also show the the, the overall standings. Um, who comes out there? If the Brumbies can somehow win the next two, well, you know they're going to clearly put some space between the Crusaders, but they'll also leapfrog the Blues um, if, if they can beat them in, in, in a fortnight's time too. So there's a lot riding on this. I, I, however, wouldn't want the Brumbies to come up against the Reds in a quarterfinal. I think that they would still get the chocolates in Canberra, but I reckon if the Reds are thinking who would they most like to play, it's not going to be the, the Waratahs because they're not going to be fourth and fifth but it could potentially be the Reds and Brumbies. And I reckon the Reds would, would back themselves, assuming Taniela Tupo is back um, because we know that James O'Connor is, is likely to return just before the before the playoffs. Yeah, we're speaking about the, the Waratahs uh, fans getting to like uh, uh, on Saturday night, equally the, the Brumbies. Um, uh, a pretty reasonable crowd the other week for that win uh, over the Hurricanes on, on Sunday afternoon. Now, clearly, it's going to be a little bit chillier on, on a Friday night, but um, what better opportunity to see a team that is really running hot against uh, the greatest Super Rugby team of all time. Yeah, and the other thing about the Brumbies at the moment, they had the experience, the pain. Dan McCullough did as well as coach and Laurie Fisher, his assistant, in 2019. 
when um, Cristiano Leofano was still running around and they go to Buenos Aires, I think it was, and they lose in Argentina. And they were terrible. That was their worst game of the season. And, and I just wonder whether or not that experience, as well as the last two years where they've been able to see how they go, how the season plays out, how that affects the team throughout a year. Because at the moment, I think that their management has been great. Just before we leave the Brumbies, right, uh, I've got a note here. Obviously, Lola CEO's re-signing had been linked with a move uh, offshore, but um, probably does the smart thing from, from his point of view, and I think he said that as much as that um, he still believes he's got some growth here to make in Australia. Signed through to 2024 when I was doing the math this morning. That, you know, I guess effectively puts him in this new realm of, of Ditto Law uh, being uh, eligible for that, the, the overseas, uh, the foreign player selection policy. Uh, geez, it's a mouthful to remember that one. Um, that he will have had uh, the the five-year service if potentially not, you know, I think he's on about 12 tests at the moment. He could have run up to 30 uh, by then, just about if he, if he plays a few more this year and, and certainly next year in a World Cup year. Um, but, um, yeah, it seems like the, the smart move. Uh, were you surprised? Did you get the gut feeling that maybe he was going to head Offshore, um, and I guess what does it mean to the Brumbies then for for this next little certainly next year, um, and then uh, you know that which will be a, a tough first year after the twenty twenty three World Cup when there will be some departures. Yeah, I, I think it's huge for the Brumbies. Um, Stephen Larkin must be thrilled because who was the other ten? You know, like I know that um, they've got uh, Rodney Iona there, yeah, no. yep. back up, and I'm sure that they've got another guy that will be coming through. Um, soon, there's obviously talent all around the place. Um, looks like the Tars are going to try to hang on to, or of course they're going to try. It looks like they will be able to keep on to um, Tane Edmund, I believe. But but had they not been able to, the Brumbies would have been really circling it's, it's him for sure. Um, huge for the Brumbies. And I, and I think it's a big for Australian rugby. Am I surprised? Well, I know that Honda gave him a, a bigger offer than Suntory um, from a financial perspective, but... Um, He's going to Honda, going to improve your rugby. I don't necessarily think it is. He's going to Suntory, though, on the other hand, going to improve rugby, and quite possibly it would. So I think uh, I, I think that just comes down to him going, well, do I back myself to play test yep. rugby and potentially over the next 18 months? And do I back myself after that to, you know, after Quade Cooper in, in 2023, the World Cup? Is Quade still going to be playing? I'm not sure. Um but they'll be definitely looking at that next generation leading into a home World Cup. And, and no one now puts himself front and centre of that. I know people have gone, mm, not sure about him. I don't think he's a test player. Um, but when a guy has had to start against the All Blacks in four or five of his first test matches, um, he plays three against France, manages to deliver a win on home soil in a three-match series. I think that... That, that experience is going to be oh so valuable. But I don't think we've seen quite the best of him in terms of his control of a game at test level. But I think that there is, even though he does seem to like he plays the game at a million miles now, I think that there's enough in him because he can he can take the line on. Um, he's got that pace. He's got that probably that cockiness that you need there. You just almost want him to take it back a notch or two. And I think we're seeing that at the Brumbies at the moment. And these three wins, putting back-to-back wins, consecutive wins against New Zealand opposition is going to be huge for him. Um, you know, they've got Ryan Lonigan now there for a couple more years. So 
it looks like they're going to be able to keep a hold of Nick White because the Wallabies aren't understanding that they really want a bloke who's got World Cup experience in the nine jersey because the nines control the tempo. Yep. Um, so, you know, if they can get on him for another season, that'll be massive. It's still a bit to, to play out there. And I, I think Tom Banks going overseas probably does help from a financial perspective, from an RA top-up perspective, that maybe they can give him a bit more. But he's a guy that they really want to keep hold of. And if they do that, well, then it sets up Stephen Larkin beautifully because they've got enough forward ammunition there to, to remain really strong. Yeah, you've got to remember uh, Noah's age. It's 22 or 23. So it, he's just still a, a young boat, right? And um, to be thrown at the deep end, uh, sure, he's had some some mixed bag uh, and probably a, a lot um, of stuff that he's not too thrilled with against the All Blacks. Um, but also, the as you mentioned there, the, uh, the very strong performances against France. Last year. So, uh, yeah, that's a big bit of business uh, for both uh, Rugby Australia and the Brumbies. Uh, mate, before we wrap up this week, uh, obviously, uh, as we mentioned off the top, a huge announcement coming uh, Thursday night, Australian time. Um, uh, yeah, Australia will be uh, announced as the, the host, not only for the 2027 World Cup, but the Women's uh, Rugby World Cup in, in 2029 as well. Um, just huge result uh, on for both um, tournaments uh, coming down under. I think we're going to see, you know, just the not only the growth in the women's game uh, in New Zealand later this year, but also, you know, the capacity for growth in Australia. Um, women's rugby continues to trend up in terms of playing figures um, across the country, uh, just coming off a fantastic Super W uh, tournament, as we've spoken about. Um, Wallaroos have got a stack of test matches coming up. Thankfully, we've got one more this afternoon as we record this on, on Tuesday morning against Japan. Pacific Four Series, and then um, more against New Zealand later in the year before the World Cup. So fantastic to see that all falling into line at last. Um, but to have these two World Cups uh, in the space of, of three years, um, it's going to be huge momentum for the game. Uh, and it looks like from a, a Wallabies perspective, of all these names we've been talking about today, that um, perhaps the, the peak of this this cohort of Australian rugby players is going to be absolutely its highest around that 26, 27 mark, which is pretty good timing for a, for a home World Cup uh, from the Wallabies' perspective. Yeah, and potentially as soon as, you know, 24, 25 in the, in the sense that a Lions series is still a compelling one, something that anyone that grows up watching rugby will be fascinated about and will, um, will love because it's an opportunity for the the. the the Super Rugby uh, franchises as well to hopefully play the Lions. Now, we don't know whether or not it's going to be a 10-match tour like it was in New Zealand back in 2017, which was incredible. But um, there's so much here, a real runway, uh, which is what Andy Maros has been describing, a runway to get Rugby Australia and, and Australian Rugby once again firing. Um, people go, oh, okay, well, they'll just waste the money again. But, you know, the, you can't discount the fact that lessons learned and, you know, Shaya paid a, an almighty price um, previously, but you get the sense that the Ducks are, are starting to line up in a row now and this is just another massive moment. And you think about the fact that private equity is going to likely come into the game as well. Uh, it's a chance to supercharge the momentum of, of Australian rugby over these next five years. And the, the next big thing, once we get past... Thursday night, Friday, will be circling France 2023 because 
making the semifinals is oh so important. You know, it's all comes down to getting in the last two weeks because if you do that, at the very least, you're competing for a bronze medal, um, another week of, of international rugby, another moment to go, well, we're going to get seeded in the top four. Um, and and that's really important ahead of a, a home World Cup. And, and I think it will do a lot this next World Cup with a, a France that is really humming to... Um, just open people's eyes again to to rugby because it's going to be an incredible spectacle over there. So, um, big big announcements on over the next couple of couple of weeks and a couple of few days. And I think the new Wallaby jersey about to be released on Wednesday, um, being what probably the eleventh of May or so, tenth uh, or eleventh of May. Eleventh. Uh, yeah. So yeah, a big big couple of months now ahead of leading into an, an England series in July. Yeah, fantastic, uh, and uh, yeah, it'll uh, be hard to miss that announcement. I think Rugby Show has got um, events planned right around the country, uh, certainly in all the, the state capitals. Anyway, of uh, once that is announced on, on Thursday night, they'll be they'll be popping up on Friday. Uh, two quick points from me before we go. Uh, certainly, a shout out to uh, the Western Sydney Two Blues in Shoot Shield, which looks like perhaps being the, the most tightly fought uh, competition that I can remember, um, which is great to see. Uh, they've put a, backed up the win over uni with a win over Southern Districts. Um, so great to see that happening. Hunter Wildfire is also doing really well uh, up there in, in Newcastle. And also uh, to, uh, there's a GoFundMe out there for Andrew Regan, rally for Regs, who was injured uh, playing for Orange Emus out there. Uh, broke his neck. Um, so if you can spare even 10, 15, 20 bucks on that, uh, jump on that, Andrew Regan. Uh, married to a lovely Jesse Davies from Pearly War up at Coonabarabin. So um, thinking of them and uh, if you've got any cash to, to lob in there, then uh, then please do. Well said. Well said. Looking forward to um, another weekend of rugby and, and uh, continue the momentum. But um, good to join and uh, good to talk some positivity and some of the really people that are driving the momentum of the game and, and let's see it continue. Absolutely, yeah. exciting and uh, far more enjoyable for us when uh, we're talking about this this stuff. The success of the uh, the Aussies uh, in in Super Rugby, um, unlike uh, the kind of the, the close to last year with the debacle uh, of the the Gitto Law at that point. So fantastic! Uh, enjoy this weekend round uh, thirteen of, of Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, should be a belter, particularly the games in uh, Canberra and uh, Sydney. Uh, that's it from us. We'll talk to you next week.